the Worldcraft Club Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. A time devoted to world building and its impact on narrative, where we discuss any and all topics involving the crafting of fictional settings to inspire your creativity. My name is James. And my name is Seth. And we are your hosts for this delightful half hour. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Worldcraft Club podcast. This is Seth here with you today. James is not with us, but I do have artist, GM, and great friend of the show, Marcus, with me today. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here. And thanks for inviting me, Seth. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. So we love having Marcus around when we discuss world building because he has a long history of building really intricate and complex worlds for games that he runs. And actually, uh, both James and I have been privileged to be part of a seven-year-long campaign that spanned multiple different systems. Yeah, Yeah, it was something. It was something. Should have been five, but... Yeah, you know, what's (laughs) a couple extra years? Yeah. What's a couple extra years between (laughs) friends? Mm Mm-hmm. So today we are really excited to talk about a specific world building concept, a sort of um, pre-built fairy cake, if you will. A lot of times when we do episodes, we're talking about uh, a feature of the world. This time our feature is fairly metaphysical. What we want to talk about is the disparity between the rich and the poor. We want to talk about haves and have-nots. And in some senses, that's really our fairy cake. Very much so. So we're going to try to unpack for you this concept of rich versus poor in a world setting specifically. We're going to talk about impact and realism and balance. Uh, We're going to talk about types of interactions between the rich and the poor. We're also going to try to hit on some of the specific IPs that use this as part of their world building. So before we get into this, I want to talk uh, very quickly about genre. Marcus, Mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts about where this sort of fairy cake fits the best or or what kind of genre this fairy cake fits the best in? Haves and have-nots, right off the top of my head, seems like a very kind of either dystopian kind of genre, but definitely in almost every cyberpunk story. Uh, I've been exposed to. I think you're right. I think cyberpunk is a prime example of this sort of world building where there is there is a resource or a social status or there's something that some people have and the rest of society is barred from getting. Or there's something that some people have and they use it to control mm-hmm. the rest of the population. Now, I think that we could probably see this both in sci-fi, we could see this in in fantasy. Well, absolutely. I mean, the concept itself has been like told since the days of Robin Hood right. and older. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. There you have Prince John and the uh, Sheriff of Nottingham mm-hmm. who have, and then you have Robin Hood who is one of the have-nots, but he has a bow. Right. He's <laughs> an excellent marksman in a heart of gold. That's right. <laughs> Let's talk about the impact that this particular world-building element is going to have 
on a world. Because one of the one of the really interesting things about this, or or really about all metaphysical ideas, is that they have a large impact on the world that you create. Very much so. So rich versus poor ends up seeming to create a really intense scrutiny on the way people interact. Yes. I mean, just even from the fairy cake have and have nots, it basically assumes that there is some kind of economy that has to be uh, stabilized or uh, maintained, better to speak. Um, And that is a whole interaction of a whole society internationally. And that's a big element of what how a world is run. Yeah, so we often talk about how the world runs behind the scenes. So you have your story, your narrative, which is sort of laid on top of the world. But what we're really talking about are the underpinnings. And this idea of have and have nots. I, I like what you said there. There's an economy to it, right? Right. And if you have an economy, you have to have a resource. And so there's something, we mentioned that earlier, there's something that that people are struggling over. And the economy of this is going to automatically create tension between people. Mm-hmm. Because for every person who has, there has to be people who have not, right? right. If, you, if you have a situation where, where the resource is so plentiful that everybody can have it, then it ceases to have any impact on the world, right? Yeah. A good example of this. We do not talk when we build a world about what people breathe, <laughs> right? Unless, right? Unless it is an important element and the scarcity of what people breathe, the scarcity of oxygen, mm-hmm. creates a problem. Right. So in the same way, when we are talking about this idea of have and have not, we really are talking about that that sort of economy. It brings a value to that thing that people want, that the haves have and the have-nots don't have. So an interesting example that's just kind of popping into my mind is... In the game that that we played with you, mm-hmm. copper was a particularly potent resource. It was. Uh, copper, um, in our little story, a little post-apocalyptic Utah, um, there was these uh, mutants, this mutation that would uh, harass farms and everybody that like was outside of the town. And one way to combat this mutation, the, they, uh, the people of Utah found out that the mutants were highly allergic or otherwise susceptible to copper exposure. It was super effective. So they started lining um, their bullets, their blades with copper. It even went into kind of the superstition. People started to have um, copper knickknacks around their house because it would mean protection against this threat. Yeah, sort of like garlic with a vampire. Yes. Except that copper was also what people traded then Mm -hmm. in order to barter. It was the money system. You had pennies. Right. Instead of the typical, um, because it was a collapsed society, the U.S. dollar didn't mean anything. Right. Uh, And even silver and gold weren't actually valuable because they had no practical purpose. Right. Not as much as copper and what was plentiful around enough to kind of make a currency was all these pennies that people used to just discard and now either you could either trade it for goods or melt it down and probably protect yourself from death 
Yeah, and so that creates a really interesting tension, right? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't a... And I, I think it's important to point out here, what we're talking about is a resource that can separate people, mm-hmm. right? It can separate people into people who have it and people who don't have it. And people who don't have it need it, right? right? There's there's a there's a reason for them to go after the people who do have it, which is how you end up with bandits and, and... Oh, yes. And there was definitely a faction that had all the copper. That's right. That's right. It was uh, it was actually up north in Copperton because they had access to, if people don't know, uh, Utah actually has the largest copper strip mine in the world. So the people that were able to claim that uh, the quickest after the apocalypse... Were, ended up being the most wealthiest faction in the entire uh, world that we'll, you guys played in. Yeah, yeah. So this brings me this brings me to something else, right? Not only does this whole idea of haves and have-nots have a serious impact on on the way people interact with each other, I think I think that you can take it different ways. I I think that there's always going to be a large impact on the way people interact. But it's possible, depending on what you intend to do with the world, to come up with a very stylized version of this. Yeah. Or to come up with a more realistic oh, absolutely. version of this. Mm-hmm. So what would you say... Can you give us an example of, of a stylized... Well, one of the uh, definitely stylized movies I've seen dealing with have and have-nots... Uh, in fact, it was basically a gimmick. Um, was the uh, if you if anybody remembers the uh, twenty eleven film In Time, uh, starring Justin Timberlake, where basically the social strain, the struggle, uh, there was no money, there was no dollars. Everybody basically, it was in the future. Everybody, once you turn twenty five, you lived forever. So basically, the currency was time people had this some kind of cybernetic implant that basically had a clock on their wrist. And when they went to work, their paycheck was adding more time that was this little clock on their wrist. And if the clock ran out, you died. So the clock is constantly ticking, but it's also your money and your life source. That's interesting. And and we say that's, a, I would say that's, a, a again, sort of a, a stylized idea because realistically that would simply cause absolute pandemonium and chaos yeah (laughs) and eventually you'd end up with one dude or one lady who has all of the time in the whole world literally everybody's time or even how how do you even get a past like counterfeit time that people just jack up their clock like hack their clock yeah you know right i don't think that's um, I don't remember even if that was uh, brought up in the movie or whatever. But, so it wouldn't yeah. be... So something like that, though, makes for a really interesting setting mm-hmm. for a really interesting story. But from a world-building point of view, it's not necessarily sustainable. No. In fact, the whole the whole hook to the movie is that the protagonist very easily... Um, okay, not very easily, but... You know, through sources, movie easily, movie easily yeah, for <laughs> plot armor's sake, uh, disrupt the whole system, right? And nobody can really easily stop them, right? It, it turns kind of into a heist movie, 
Right. And another Robin Hood movie, actually. Because they steal this time and give it to the more poorer districts. Well, and so there you have the haves and have-nots, right? Mm-hmm. And like you said at the beginning, it goes back to Robin Hood. It goes back to this idea of sort of redistributing wealth, which is a really interesting theme that seems to run through a lot of stories that deal with this have and have not world, mm-hmm. right? Now, again, we want to make sure that we're, this is a world building podcast. So we want to make sure that we're focusing as much as possible on the underpinnings of it. Yes. But it's, it is interesting and it's worth noting that the most common story that's put over top of this sort of world is one where there is some sort of equalizing force. Mm-hmm. There are haves and there are have-nots, and somehow all of the stuff that the haves have is being redistributed out. Now, this brings up this brings up an interesting problem, though. What happens when your resource that the haves have is finite, mm. and your population of have-nots is so large that if everything was distributed, nobody would get anything, or it yeah. would be instantly used up? No, uh... I would say they would have to find an alternate uh, source of what they need, if not some way to synthesize it or something. Yeah. So this this is often when a story ends. I my first thought mm-hmm. is because I think about things in terms of world building. Right. Is well, what happens next? Mm-hmm. Great. So there's a revolution. Oh yes, what yes. Happens next? A lot of stories end. Yay, we won the revolution! And hey, not... everybody's liberated. Nobody has any food to eat because <laughs> yep. we blew up all of the factories. How how do we rebuild a a more idealized society that we've been touting for the rest of the movie? Yeah, you know, did did our ideals pan out? We'd like to hope so. We would like to hope so. <laughs> so this brings us to this is actually a really good segue into types of rich and poor. Yes. Right? Types of haves and have-nots. Yes, because it's not all just financial. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not like... So we use the example of time as money. Mm-hmm. Um, we use the example of copper mm-hmm. as a currency. But it's not always just money. Right? It could be a resource gap. It could be resource control. It could be some sort of social control. Oh, yes. Like... Uh like slavery or disgraced class this is more uh societal yeah so you could have disparity. like a caste system yeah right almost like um ancient egypt or even the hunger games had this disparate uh class system right where there's some people at the top and then everybody else just kind of were punished and forced to play this blood sport for the entertainment of the haves <laughs> weird weird <laughs> again you want to talk about a sustainable world anyway um <laughs> stylized very stylized. right <laughs> So I think I think we should spend a little bit of time, though, talking about this, about okay. types of resource gap. Absolutely. Because, because when you create a world, you could very easily create a world where there's, uh, there's struggle between the haves and the have-nots based on geographic location. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a couple of animes that do this. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Chrome-Shelled Regios. Okay, I have not seen that one. So in that, you have people who live in these giant mobile cities. Okay. Right? And the rest of the world is wasteland. And the people who live in in the uh, the higher functioning cities or the cities that can get more resources mm-hmm. have an advantage over the people who live in the cities that are that are 
have lower resources, right? right? And there you have a sense of haves and have-nots, and it ends up with war between these cities. Okay. So you can you can have this resource gap with geographic location, but you could also have it with technology. Oh, yeah. What some people know and other people don't know, or oh. abilities, superheroes versus not superheroes. And a lot of this does bleed into the social system, mm-hmm. the sort of caste system you were talking about. Yeah. It's really easy to have a caste system if you have some people mm-hmm. who have natural ability above other people. Now, when you said there was a disparity with technology, the first thing that came to my head was kind of like an invasion force. And I thought about the movie uh, James Cameron Avatar. Yeah. Um, which, uh, like like you mentioned uh, before uh, we started recording, uh, stories that have kind of a dual have and have not. Because obviously with technology, the humans coming to Pandora had a technological advantage over the Navi, I believe. So they had that technology that the Navi lacked. But what the Navi had, which was this unobtainium. (laughs) Oh, man, that kills me. I'm sorry. I'll refrain from my my loathing of that uh, lack of creativity of name choosing to those that are in the know. But they had that, much like your geographical stuff, because you could only find it, like, mostly under their tree, their main, like, mother tree, or right. where they lived. That is what the, the invading force wanted, you know? Right. And they, you know, so much so that they would, you know, enact bulldoze genocide. Pl- yeah, bulldoze a planet for yeah, it. Yeah, for it, yeah. Yeah, so there is. And and this, is, this actually brings up a really good point. When we're dealing with haves and have-nots, it is really common that there are multiple there are multiple motivations in a story right and there are mm-hmm. multiple people who have and have not um so another great example of this mm-hmm. is actually the movie equilibrium oh yeah so in equilibrium we have the tetragrammaton which runs everything right, right? and we have a society that bans emotion mm-hmm. and so they have they have peace and stability Right. And order. And the people who do not have that have emotion. Right. Now, what's really interesting is that when you see that, you think to yourself, oh, there's haves and have nots. And the haves are the people with the emotion. And the tetragrammaton, the people who live under the tetragrammaton are the ones that are have nots. But then you find out, spoiler alert, (laughs) the very end, if any of you still have not seen Equilibrium, I mean... Please go see it. Please go see it, but come on. Anyway, (laughs) spoiler alert. You find out that there is somebody who has both the order of the Tetragrammaton and the emotion of the people who don't take the drug to uh, the prosium to Mm -hmm. suppress this emotion. So I see what you're talking about, your your dual have-have-nots, because like you said, the haves are the this uh underground rebel faction that have emotion that can live life to the fullest you know versus the stoic order of the tetragrammaton uh that live in libra i think was the the city name but also the other way is that the the, uh libra has this order and kind of serene peacefulness they have stable lives they have Mm -hmm. stable jobs everybody is is happy Mm -hmm. To the extent that they can be happy with what's going on, there's no fighting, there's right. no there's no violence. 
they they managed to get to they managed to serve everybody um even though it is a copy pasted life for each but but everybody has what they need correct to live day to day correct whereas the the rebels are hiding mm-hmm. they cannot live freely they uh they don't they have to suppress themselves and they have to, you know, yeah. try to... Hide. Or they can try to live among the rest, but with this constant risk of being caught. Right. Which is not, which is not the security that the others right. that are so it's, on it Prosium is, have. And, and that really is, you know, the struggle of the, that story is the struggle of liberty mm-hmm. and security. But what's fascinating is that at the end of the movie, you realize that there's somebody who has both liberty and security. That is right. And they're the only have. They have it all. Right. They're the only (laughs) have in the entire movie. And everybody else, whether they are perpetuating the system or fighting against the system, is actually a have not. Right. Oh, wow. Until the very end. Anyway, though that is, again, one of those situations where bombs go off. Yeah. Everybody cheers. And then yeah. you think to yourself, okay, but now what? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, leave that, we'll leave that subject for another day. Another day. Yeah. So let's talk about resource control. Okay. Okay. We just talked about resource gap between rich and poor. Let's talk about resource control because resource control is a very interesting pillar to build your world on. We see resource control in our everyday lives. Yeah. Right. So every it's something that everybody is familiar with. We're a little bit less familiar, truthfully speaking, with resource gap. We live in the most resource rich period of history. We live in the wealthiest period of history, specifically in the U.S. or in the West. We rank among the richest people in the world mm-hmm. and not only in the world, but in history. Right. So so our understanding of resource gap generally, I think it's a bit more of a stretch for people. But resource control is something that everybody understands. Some some a faction that controls the thing to be had. Right. Every time you go to the pump to put gas in your car, you think to yourself, why is the price higher? Mm, I see what you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is a that is a classic example of resource control. There's a mm-hmm. group that controls the crude uh, oil production. And based on their whims, we either get cheap gas mm-hmm. or we get expensive or gas. Based on our interactions with them. Right. We're able to steal their gas. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, we'll just yeah, we'll leave that one too. All right. So I think I think resource control is a really cool world building pillar because it is more common to our understanding of the way the world works. Mm-hmm. And so it's very it's very easy for us to imagine a situation where one company or one um individual or one group social group mm-hmm. has control over a particular thing. And it just it just uh, occurred to me um, since we're we're thinking of other examples other than just resources. Well, everything's kind of a resource other than just financial um, things. Uh, information, absolutely information. Because when you were talking about this resource control, the TV show uh, Person of Interest and the the video game 
Watch Dogs, particularly yeah. Watch Dogs 2, popped into my mind. This both kind of, with uh, the TV show Person of Interest, you have the machine, which is its own character. Basically, the machine has all this, has total control of information all across, I guess, just the United States, where it's integrated with. And there have been different governments and different factions that have been trying to hack the machine so that they can get access to all the surveillance. Mm -hmm. In uh, Watch Dogs 2, I understand it is the same kind of deal that there's this, the city of San Francisco has become like a smart city. Right. And the company that controls it's it's basically the network or um, IOP, Internet of Things, Mm -hmm. basically is using people's personal information against them at their whim if they need a scapegoat mm-hmm. you know if they need some like a certain faction to increase uh their criminal footprint mm-hmm. when they haven't done anything uh which is something the protagonist has a beef with at the beginning of that game yeah they control all the information and you you as playing the protagonist are fighting against that corruption trying mm-hmm. to free people's personal information by being owned by themselves you know that person yeah 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 we see that also in um in deus ex i have uh in we see it in a lot of sort of techno dystopian Mm -hmm. futures and and like you mentioned a couple of things that are that are sort of not into the full dystopia yet but are moving in that direction and i think that is so information control and you can do it you can do it in a lot of different ways and it doesn't just have to be a modern setting right right you can do information control in a magic setting where there's a uh there's a guild of mages who mm-hmm. are the only ones who know how spells work oh yeah and they're the they're only going to teach you if you take the oath mm-hmm. right and they're maintaining control of the world in that way mm-hmm. You know, even in a low-tech society, the ability to make gunpowder guarantees control of an empire, right? Right. So I think I think it doesn't just have to be in like a future sense oh, no. or future tech. But I will say that even that, contemporary with um, I just thought of uh, Men in Black with yeah. protagonists, where where the the protagonists protect that information from the general population they control that information that yeah. aliens exist right and that for the world the could a- end tomorrow <laughs> for, for both the aliens and the humans mm-hmm. good yeah or so they say true this is what's really interesting about resource control and information control mm-hmm. as a pillar for your world right it is so close to home very it is so close to home very. that i think it becomes instantly more effective than other kinds of world building pillars absolutely i um the other week i was talking to an older gentleman and he was complaining about you know uh like oh china is you know hacking people's uh phones and getting their their facial pictures and everything so i cover i cover the phone the camera lens of my camera and everything so the government doesn't get you Mm -hmm. know my picture and i'm like when was the last time you updated your driver's license? Mm-hmm. The government can't take what it already has. <laughs> you know, that's right. And that kind of like, yep. He Sorry, didn't buddy. think it's of that. Too late. <laughs> Way too late. Too late. Mm-hmm. 
So this whole this whole idea of resource control is a really great way, and it's a really rich way to build a world, mm-hmm. right? Because because there's so many different ways that it can go. Now, one of the interesting things is that the resource gap and resource control both often share pieces or elements with with sort of our third type of rich versus poor, mm-hmm. which is the slavery or disgraced class the the sense of social control right okay like um say ancient egypt in our own history where the egyptians controlled a whole people right to to basically do their their own work just simply because they were of a lower well they forced them into a lower class right well and and when you look at history, you see this happening a lot. Absolutely. Right? You see this happening in Asia. You see this happening in Africa. You see this happening in the Middle East. You see this happening in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Right? You have, you'll often have groups who will conquer everybody around them and then will say, oh, hey, we want to do cool things like build giant pyramids. And mm-hmm. so we're going to do that by forcing other people to do it for us. Mm-hmm. Right. You see this in China where they built the Great Wall, where they built where they built right. the Forbidden City. Mm-hmm. You see this in uh, in South America where they built uh, these giant pyramids or like um, ziggurats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw this in Babylon. You saw this in Africa. The mm-hmm. Ashanti conquered huge swaths of people mm-hmm. um, and then sh- use them as slave labor mm-hmm. and it's very interesting even in contemporary times like everybody talks about it and um i won't go too deeply into you know any uh social rights things because we can talk about that to the cows come home a few times yeah um but definitely uh say um in the movie um boys in the hood uh, i think with cuban gooding jr Lawrence fishburne and i think it was ice cubes first movie he was featured in um but uh people were basically Lawrence Fishburne's character at one point in the movie some civilians were disenfranchised with the way things are going on and they're saying like why does the government um you know treat us poorly or why does it do this strangely and he says um it's the same reason why they put a gun store in our district uh, pertaining to the, the black community. Mm-hmm. That's why they put a gun store in our community right across the street from a liquor store. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of implication of social control. Yeah. So it doesn't. So you're bringing up something really interesting there mm-hmm. because it doesn't have to be obvious. Right. Right. It doesn't have to be an explicit mm-hmm. thing. And like you said, you know, we could we could talk about social justice right. justice issues for for the rest of this and every other podcast we, that we, we do. We start a whole other podcast <laughs> right. about this. But <laughs> I do think that it's worth pointing out that that these things, just like we talked about how resource control is mm-hmm. something that people are intimately familiar with, mm-hmm. this whole concept of social control or even to Sorry, to kind of steer away from the social justice and put it a little a little more, even the same metaphor, the X-Men. The kind of control, you are a mutant, we need to... Manage you. Yes. We need to document you, know what yeah, you do, yeah. and 
put you over here. <laughs> For sure. And in all of these cases, you have you have a group that is in power that wants to stay in power and will mm-hmm. do will take action to stay in power because mm-hmm. they fear that if they do not take action, they will no longer be in power. Absolutely. And this again, this is something that's that's it's a really solid pillar to build a world with because it is very familiar to people. Mm-hmm. People instinctively understand the interaction between somebody who wants to control them and their own desire for freedom. Yes. And so you will definitely be able, if you're building a world with this idea of, of social control, you know, the haves being the ones who are doing the controlling and the Mm -hmm. have nots being the people who are under control or seeking Mm -hmm. freedom from that kind of control. If you're going to build a world that, that, is set up like this it's very simple to like it's it's pretty easy to do but i will give you a word of warning you are treading on dangerous ground absolutely because you are inviting into your world a whole host of issues that plague the real world and mm-hmm. so people are going to have opinions absolutely. on what you do and a lot of what we've talked about for world building in this podcast episode and in the previous podcast episodes have has been really neutral, right? But I think it's important to just sort of put it out there that mm-hmm. anything you build into a world has consequences. We've talked about the consequences that it has for the people in the world. But it's also important to recognize that if you put something into your world, other people will react to it. Right. I don't think that this podcast is the place to say more on that. Right. But if you ever are interested in talking about something like that, definitely send us an email. Fair enough. (laughs) So to move off of the heavier topic and back into sort of the world building focus stuff, I'd love to hear some IPs that you think do a good job of dealing with some of these things, whether it's the impact that the haves and have nots have on the world setting, whether it's the realism that we've talked about the types of rich versus poor. Do you have any examples of a... Oh, absolutely. Off the top of the head, there's a, f- there's a few that definitely uh, deal with the disparity and even the geographical distance uh, between the rich and poor. So um, the Netflix series Altered Carbon, a uh, fantastic um, cyberpunk series... Uh, Did the second season for that already come out, or is it coming oh, out? Oh, I don't. There, there's a second season. I think it's coming out soon. That'd be wonderful. I think they hit the note because there's just not a good cyberpunk thing on yeah, Netflix, and sure. so they they hit a very nice niche. But their world is basically your classic cyberpunk kind of corporate rich versus poor. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the poverty is basically all these punks and different alleys of. Uh, different vices mm-hmm. and so on, and the the wealthy class or what they are called uh, the meths, um, as a reference to if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, Methuselah, Methuselah, uh, Methuselah. Yes, uh, I think it's a reference of being able to 
live forever. Yeah, so Methuselah is the longest lived individual according to the Bible. I see. Okay. So he lived, he is recorded in in the Bible as having lived for 938 years or oh, something wow. like that or yeah. 68 years. I I don't remember the exact mm. number, but and that's he lived the, for a long time. Yeah, and that is the hook to uh this wealthy class these meths because they have uh through the technology, which is a very nice hook um the um on the series, they found a way to virtually live forever. So they are the closest things to modern day gods mm-hmm. in there. And they physically live atop their corporate skyscrapers that pierce the smog that is covering the city. This is basically why the city's like always dark mm-hmm. and neon lit. But once you get up to these, which are only accessible by like these helicopters or air cars, mm-hmm. um, they basically have their manor and mansion sitting on top of these skyscrapers. And so there you have that that huge, you have some geographic distance, but you have that huge disparity between people who live above the clouds and people who live below the clouds. Yes, and it is beautiful above the clouds. The right. sun's shining, uh, and, it, and it's a very uh, heavenly or even Olympian kind of um, view mm-hmm. uh, from there, but then you know the rich come down and you know slick their lust uh, with the common folk mm-hmm. uh, as they please. Um, the next one up, uh, Alita Battle Angel, I love uh, that. the movie. Yes. Uh, well, I haven't seen the movie. Oh, you have not seen. The I movie. have not seen the movie. I highly I, recommend it. I, I read. So you're 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 manga. familiar with Battle Angel Alita, yeah, which is the manga, <laughs> right? Right. Um. So, but yeah, uh, at least in the movie, I have not. I personally have not read the comic book. I would love to, though. Yeah. Um, so here, um, the rich are basically kind of even more so geographically separated from the the poor. They live in a floating city. In fact, it's like the last floating city, I believe. Right. Uh, up this up the space elevator. Yeah. So, so here, I don't know if there was a space elevator in the movie. They could have changed some things. But yeah, regardless, so, right. regardless of the regardless. point, um, they, from my, from my uh, understanding from the movies ver- and mm-hmm. version, they found themselves to anchor um, in a in a good spot, uh, and basically all the other you know people of the world has tried to gather around the city because the city produces you know has its own population to deal with, has its own waste and scrap to discard, so basically they just dump it where they're anchored mm-hmm. so all the people congregate underneath and are literally bottom feeders mm-hmm. you know and digging the, through their trash digging through their trash seeing what resources they have and build themselves a scrap city i think that's what the city is called scrap city um and then the rich are just kind of looking down as the civilization is growing underneath them like huh i think there's a way to exploit this so they invent rollerball and I'm not sure whose idea was it, if it was just uh, the scrap people. Like local sports made it, that yeah. made it bigger. Regardless, totally commercialized. And the wealthy, you know, they, they tempt, you know, the winner. Whoever wins becomes the final champion, gets to go up to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that is kind of how they interact. And rarely, rarely do you see one of uh, the, the rich people, which is a whole city, and not just these kind of uh, mat people like families and manners. It's a whole city there that you don't see um, yet, maybe because there'll probably be a sequel. Um, 
So, and then you go to the uh, 2013 movie Elysium, starring Matt Damon, which... Which is even more separation. Even more separated. Because there it's like real space station. Yes, Elysium uh, is a space station in orbit, and the entire planet, Earth, is poverty. Right. If I'm understanding this correctly. And their interaction is there is actually a feud between Earth and Elysium. Because Elysium has these miraculous super tech. They have these miraculous med bays. Basically a bed you lay in and the automation goes through and cures you of any diseases. Heals you of any wounds even rebuilding facial structures if if the damage is that severe um and earth gets none of that so like leukemia in elysium nothing throw them in the med bay so on so forth you know while leukemia and other cancers and other diseases in earth are still rampant it's like the entire earth is a third world country Mm -hmm. uh compared to elysium um so these are all these three examples are actually examples where the protagonist in the story starts in in the poor faction. Or, and they kind of have two different ways to go. Either they feel like they have been wronged by the wealthy faction and they rise up to fight against their corruption. Or, which I think is interesting, they actually feel inspired to climb the ladder climb the social ladder and become wealthy become you know those which is kind of like uh, alita was they are mm-hmm. trying to get to that city but in their journey then they find out it's not all what it's cracked up to be that there is corruption and then they fight against the corruption from there now the, go ahead so there you have this introduction of a really interesting interesting idea and that is that rebellion is okay. Yes. And rebellion is not only okay, but it is called for by the very structure of the world that these people inhabit. Right. And right? one question we were asked where we were asking, when is rebellion needed? So rebellion is very rarely a constructive thing. Instead, it's a destructive thing. It it destroys a a power system or a power structure, or a hierarchy. Uh, it destroys a power structure or a hierarchy so that something better can be built in its place. Almost like a reset button. Yeah, it's a bit of a reset button. Uh, the problem, the problem is that in a lot of worlds that use this idea of haves and have-nots, there isn't actually a way to <laughs> to. E- resolve the fact that there are going to be haves and there are going to be have-nots. Yeah. Because again, we talk about resources, Mm -hmm. right? If you have a limited number of resources, I hate to break it to you, but not everybody can have them. Mm -hmm. And if you have an infinite number of resources, they are of no value. This is how economies work, right? Mm -hmm. This is how the... take, Take the simplest example, a dollar bill. A dollar bill has money because there is a limited number of dollar bills and everybody wants them. Right. (laughs) Okay. That's the only reason it matters. Otherwise, we'd use it as toilet paper. No joke. If a dollar bill was not worth a dollar's worth of goods or services, nobody would care. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be worth the 
paper it's printed on. Right. Except maybe, well, no, our dollars are really ugly. <laughs> anyway. Um, They're works of art on their own. <laughs> right. No, see, that's, yeah, that's not the case. Now, if you had a picture to further sort of where this conversation is going, mm-hmm. if you had a, had a picture, it could be worth something on its own because people mm-hmm. could want to look at it. Right. right. Let's say you drew the prettiest picture in the world. Mm-hmm. Great. Lots of people want to look at it. So they have to trade you something to get it. They mm-hmm. trade you a resource. Now, what sorts of resources are you going to accept? You're going to accept something that you don't have. You're going to accept mm-hmm. something that is limited. This is how economies work, right? Right. This creates a problem when we look at revolution. This mm-hmm. creates a problem because most rebellion in most worlds that we build, that people build, mm-hmm. are effectively just one set of tyrants replacing another set of tyrants. I, Yeah, conceptually, you're right. So the question is, how do we build a world that allows for, that is robust enough to allow for rebellion when it's needed? Because we can all agree that if, if there's a situation of great disparity, right, if there's a situation with haves and who are radically oppressing have-nots, then there does need to be some sort of equal equalizing, right? Mm-hmm. We can say that on a moral level. The question is, how do you create a world that allows for that to happen without it just being a reset on the same problem that you're trying to deal with? And this is, again, this goes back to that idea of stylized versus realistic right because if all you're trying to do with your world is make a point about a aspect of society or about a a metaphysical concept or even you're just trying to use your world to elicit an emotion out of somebody Mm -hmm. a particular emotion then you can do this in it solves the problem you can be stylized because your world is effectively throwaway. But for those of us who are trying to build worlds that are enduring, mm-hmm. that last, we need a way to do it where the whole thing doesn't fall apart when you pull a single piece out. Right. I mean, there has to be, almost like we were saying earlier, some kind of maintained structure, maintained um, economy. Yeah, and not um, only do you need an economy, but it has to be balanced, right? Right. And they, rebellion is basically set there to unbalance the current economy. And this poses a problem. Uh, you see this problem played out in the uh, 2009 movie Daybreakers. Basically, uh, the haves are vampires. Vampires have taken over the world. Humans are hunted because vampires eat humans. Twist humans are going extinct. The resources is diminishing. There have been attempts to balance this out. They are ignored. So the resource continues to diminish. This unbalance. Of course, later on, there is a rebellion. And because of that, virtually the entire vampire population is destroyed. So for world... To be sustained, there has to be a balance. Not one faction really overwhelming the other. Yeah, you have to have some sort of give and take, mm-hmm. right? The 
to make a sustainable world, the haves have to give something, whether it's security, whether it is some level of food, whether it is um, some level of, of, of stability in society. There has to be something that they're trading. Otherwise, rebellion is the only result. And if rebellion is the only result, destruction is the only outcome. Right, which is good for a story, a narrative, to start your narrative. For your world, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> and that's where and that's where we want to be able to draw a line for this podcast, right? If you're writing a story or if you're drawing a comic or if you're um, adding a story to your world-building elements and story elements to your music, whatever you're doing, if you're making a video game, make your story. Make it awesome. But for world building specifically, we want to make sure that we are not putting ourselves in a position. We're not boxing ourselves into a corner. Right. right. Not right out of the bat. <laughs> yeah, right. Not not right out of the mm -hmm. gate, at least. You don't want to be like, hey, look, here's my cool world. Guess what? It's the apocalypse. Whoops. <laughs> here's my world. It's deteriorating right away. Yeah. No, you, you, you're going to leave that to your protagonist. Exactly. Uh, to unbalance. Um, and then hopefully rebalance. Yeah. So that you can have a world that continues on mm -hmm. and you can have more stories in that world. Right. Marcus, thank you so much for coming. It has been a pleasure, it is to say the least. It is always <laughs> really fun talking to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure we'll have you on. We'll have you on again. I, I do know that we want to uh, try for a quick world at some point with you. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah, those are <laughs> those are really fun. Uh, we're also very interested in um, in interviews and collaborations with any of you listeners who are interested in coming on the pot uh, on the podcast. Definitely shoot us a message. Uh, you know where to find us and. But I want to end this with a little brief story, a uh, true story, my world experience. So uh, going to work or coming home from work every day, there is this mom and pop shop with a sign, kind of like one of those church signs that you change the letters out. Mm. And since they're not a really not a church, they can say some pretty clever things, some pretty controversial and thought provoking things. And one trip coming home from work I read as I'm going by, the sign said, soon we will have to eat the rich to feed the poor. And that right there, folks, is an unsustainable world. <laughs> there are definitely not enough rich to feed all us poor. Um, <laughs> so, Marcus, tell us, if people are interested in checking out your art, where can we find you? Well, I do have uh, an Instagram, Mev the Dreamer. You can find my artwork uh, that is M-E-V -E the dreamer. dreamer. All one word. Um, is really the main uh, thing I have going on right now, but definitely a lot more projects starting up, and I'll let you guys know in the future when they get off the ground. Yeah, well, we'll have you back on when they do. I'm really excited about it. Thank you for joining Seth and I on the World Craft Club podcast. Please go ahead and like us, subscribe to us on your preferred app. And if you use iTunes, rate us five stars if you think we're worth the rating. It really helps our numbers. If you're listening here, you're missing out on half the content along with loads of other goodies. So please consider becoming an exclusive club member at our Patreon page, starting at as low as $5 a month. If you have any questions, 
you can go ahead and jump on our webpage, worldcraftclub.com, to get the latest updates on our blog. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram. This has been the Worldcraft Club podcast. Thank you for listening. Something, something, something. And I think that James has a particular outro, yep. but well, I don't yet.